Welcome to the Popular Pig Podcast, a convenient place where you can stay up to date on what's popular in the swine industry. By listening to Popular Pig, you will receive invaluable information on the latest trends, news, and research from various experts who guide the global pork industry. Popular Pig is brought to you by Swine Tech, the award-winning creators of SmartGuard and PigFlow. To learn how PigFlow can help you streamline your workforce and reduce piglet and sow deaths, visit swinetechnologies.com. Popular Pig is also made possible by the National Pork Board, Johnsonville Foods, High Pork Genetics, Minitube, Brenneman Pork, Fibro Animal Health, Swine Robotics, Innovative Heating, and PigEquipment.com. Brought to you by American Resources. Welcome to the Popular Pig Podcast. My name is Matthew Rota, your host for today's episode. Today, we're joined by Emily Erickson to talk about our great resignation. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Matthew. appreciate being here. Excited to talk with you about this topic. There is so much depth and width to it, but I think we have a pretty good path paved today. The area I'd like to start is just labor. When we look at our workforce and how it has evolved over the past 30, 40 years, it's constantly changing. When I think about my grandfather who raised pigs, it was a profession, right? It was everything about your day, everything that you owned. Chores were a part of that profession. And then as we got into the 90s and individuals started managing larger barns and larger systems, it became a good career. It wasn't necessarily a lifestyle as much as as a career path where you had a lot of opportunity. But today it feels like a lot of the the work we're doing in farms is, is turned into more of a job. And I feel like we need to get things back to a career mentality, but it's a very hard topic. I guess, what have you seen as you've worked with teams and built teams? And before you even get to that, could you give us a little bit of background on where did you come from? How did you get in touch with pigs? Uh, what what do you do today? Yeah, perfect. No, that's a great segue. So um, starting with my background, I grew up on a, a family farm uh, north of Worthington, Minnesota. My dad raised, raised just pigs and then was also a crop farmer. And so dad raised uh, everything out, outdoors, barrow to finish. He had about 100 sows that he rotated through his system. We took finishing pigs down to the local sale barn. Um, if we were really lucky, we got the um, parties, cinnamon biscuits in the morning, <laughs> those sorts of things. Right. So like yeah. really what you were talking about, like the total profession, like that was my dad's, that was my dad's livelihood that, well, that was all of our livelihood. Right. And so that's where it started. Um, I ended up going to South Dakota State University, go Jackrabbits, um, and uh, uh, studied animal science and really didn't know what my path looked like outside of college other than um, a job off the farm. It, you know, my dad wasn't old enough to retire and, and I have three sisters. So between the four of us girls, none of us were really like yeah, we're going back to the farm and we're going to be doing this. You know, we just, dad was going to be doing that for a long time here. Yeah. So we all got jobs um, off the farm and I was lucky enough to uh, get recruited as an intern 
for a company, a production system. And I ended up starting there full-time outside of college and really fell into the path of, of animal welfare and also some communications roles and um, things like that. And so definitely like you, your pathway here, profession to career to job really landed in that kind of career category, fortunately. Um, but I have definitely seen the evolution of, of those paths through the years too. And I would agree with you that, you know, we're really at a spot today where, you know, being two, three generations removed, it's a job for a lot of people. Right. And I think that that's what makes, that's what makes it so interesting and and difficult in some ways to start recruiting people in our recruiting the labor in our industry today um, and figuring out how to get back to that career or um, find that connection with people that this is more than just a job that it, it can really bring a lot of, you know, job and life satisfaction, taking care of animals and, and producing food too. So. Yeah. We lost the bridge of the profession too. I mean, we, we no longer have individuals who, who are witnessing their, their parents as the profession. They're witnessing their parents as the career or as the job. And so historically, finding a career was very enticing. Oh yeah, my dad did this and I get to do this on a grander scale. Like awesome. Um, it's just so different. What, uh, when it comes to skilled labor, which is continuing to get harder, a big component of that is, is care. Our ability to effectively perform our jobs in the farm, which often our responsibility is providing high quality care for pigs. Where has animal welfare been in the industry and where do you think it's going? That's a big question. Um, you know, I think we've made a ton of progress the last 10, 15 years in this department. And it's not so much that we've necessarily changed how we do things. We, we certainly have, right, we, in response to um, activist videos and, and different pressures um, from other industries. But it, I think the animal welfare movement was more about showing the world what, what we actually do as pig farmers and, and getting vocal about that. Right. And so I think my, my career is, has been pretty unique in that I really came, came into the industry right at the precipice of, of animal welfare and, and the pressures from the activists and those different organizations on our industry. Um, when I started all the Mercy for Animals videos in HSUS videos were coming out and Rick Berman was fighting back with Humane Watch and, and all of that was just, it was right there. And so, um, you know, I, I, I ended up on the task force that put together the common swine industry audit, right? That was in response to <clears throat> all of these things. And so it's it's evolved over the last 10 years to improve the different processes that we do on the farm. Right. But it, at the end of the day, it comes back to what, what you said. It's, it's about caring for that animal and making sure that we're doing the right thing. Like I always think back my dad, when he was raising 
his weaned pigs and well in and raising his pigs in the farrowing house and, and getting to the point of weaning, like he was a big fan of oats, right? Just it's good for the stomach. And I can remember him telling yeah. me it's so good for their stomachs. And it's it just settles things out as they're transitioning and and you gotta think back into the early nineties, right? That's when TG and and some dysentery and some of those issues were really popping up in the industry. And so it's so fun to to utilize those different things that you've learned over the years um, and fall back into it. Right. So I, I see oats being used or I see grueling being used and it's all kind of the same, same process, right. It helps the guts of the the babies and, and gets them transition from mom's milk to feed. And so it's, it's just emphasizing what we're already doing or what we had been doing for years and years. Um, but also teaching and training those that, aren't a part of that and making sure that they understand that there's some strong, hard guidelines when it comes to animal care in our industry. Do you think that to kind of merge the, the two very different topics started this together, do you think that the way labor has changed in our industry makes offering high quality care easier or more difficult? And where I go with that is, the family farmer who did everything themselves could also live and, and die on their own decision. It was whatever they wanted it to be. And today, there's standards where somebody that's only been in this industry for one week has an expectation. But there's also more people. And so it could go either way. There's there's more points of failure, but there's also more standardization. Like, where do you think welfare and the change in our our workforce have have kind of grown together well that's a really good question um and and i agree with you i think that it goes both ways right i think that you know standardization is isn't always a bad thing in that it brings about accountability on the farm right it this is this is my measure. And, and so in a sense, from the employee standpoint, that's a measure that they can always know where they stand and know whether or not they're doing a good job on the farm. It's their personal measure. Like, yep, I can take care of the animal this way and I know that I'm doing it right. Um, but I but this is pig farming too, right? There's always going to be situations where you can't you can't put the situation on the farm into the cookie cutter mold and say that this is the right scenario. You might have to think outside the box and say, well, even though our SOP states that we have to do this, like there's going to be times where we need to have a conversation over whether or not this is the right thing for this particular animal at this date and time or this scenario, whether it's a health outbreak or, you know, a hard delivery or whatever that might be. Right. And so that's, I think, the very, that's probably the trickiest thing that we as, as professionals in the industry have to teach or provide individuals is the, the background knowledge enough to understand that there are some situations outside the protocol that needs to be followed um, and give them the flexibility to make those decisions or, or walk them through those decision-making processes. And so, I, I didn't really answer your last question either. Like where's welfare going, right? 
And so, but this is a good tie, right? And, and I think, you know, we've done a really good job of, of bringing producers up to kind of that industry standard or getting, getting people there or having the resources available to get them there if they need to. And so, you know, I, I don't think this is the, the end of animal welfare in our industry. I think that in time, it's going to get not more difficult, but I think it's going to continue to go deeper. I think we're going to continue to refine the different um, points that we already have, right? The standards of care that we already have. But I think that we are going to start seeing a lot of the welfare components tie into um, sustainability and some of the directions that that industry is going. Um, I think that there's, there's going to be, there's going to have to be a push from a labor standpoint to assist our new employees and our green employees, you know, the zero experience employees to understand what those standard operating procedures are, why they're there and, and kind of almost the backstory on it, right. From 30 years ago to today. And, and, and that's a big ask for any organization to be able to find enough key staff on their team to be able to articulate all of that to the employee. I'm going to throw out kind of a wild idea and get your thoughts on it. When we look at healthcare, they have a set of criteria for what does it mean to offer the correct care. But like you said, with any living being, there are outlier situations that can't be summarized with an SOP. And so they have like a code of conduct. Even mental health has this, their own ethical code of conduct that you you are guided towards, which helps fill in the gray. Do you think that the future of animal husbandry or even pet ownership we we walk into this world where there is a ethical code of conduct that is that is above SOPs that helps fill in the gray area for welfare. Yeah, I I and we kind of do right. Like we have the five the five principles of animal care, right? Like and so it's it's there, but that's not often talked about, right? It's not often Correct. fallen back onto um, because. I think our, you know, our industry has been reactionary in regards to animal welfare from the start, right? Why did we start hiring animal welfare specialists or animal care, um, animal well-being and quality assurance people? Why did we do that? Well, because we had pressure from outside industries and, and we had to, we had to respond. And so, you know, I think that when we start interweaving animal care and labor, there's a lot of there's a lot of pieces of that that kind of go hand in hand, right? Like it's not we're getting to a point too, you know, and we've we've kind of talked in the past about this great resignation stuff. We've we've talked about it anymore. It's it's not just about providing animal care on the farm, but it's about providing our people care too and making sure that our our people are taken care of. And and so you know Animal welfare in our industry isn't done. It's not met its full evolution. It's going to continue to to 
roll and, and modify as things change, right? Um, what specific direction it's going to go, I think it's hard to say, but I think that there's, I do think that there's things that as producers we can do to help guide that process so that it, that our next steps are less reactionary and in more, um, more proactive than not. Yeah. Yeah, Which it's like, even if you're investing more into welfare, let's say it becomes more, I'm not going to use the word, I don't want to use the word onerous, but you kind of know what I mean. If we're thinking from an industry being forced something in, like let's say it's more onerous, there's more work involved. That doesn't necessarily mean it's going to cost us more as an industry because yeah, on the front end, we are going to be more proactive. We're going to be providing better care. We're going to understand things differently than we have before. And so it can be more sustainable. It can be more productive and more profitable. There's, there's, there's many advantages outside. Oh, we're going to have to spend more money on on certifications or expertise or, or things on that line. Absolutely. I mean, we're, we're already proving, I mean, the players in the industry today are already proving that animal care is a top priority. Why? Because they're producing, right? Animals aren't going to produce if they're not taken care of. And Mm -hmm. so all those metrics that you're already measuring in your system, your pre-wean mortality, your mortality, all of those things, we're already we're already looking at how well are we taking care of that animal? And so, you know, the, the, the true, I mean, animal care and animal welfare, it, it's, Hey, we're doing these things, but can we do it in a way that is going to provide a, a larger benefit to that animal? Or is it going to be a safer option for, for our staff on the farm? Or, you know, there's, there's different returns for that, that might not, might not always be tied to the PL, but they're they're there. And it's not necessarily going to make your staff left less efficient on the farm, but it it's cumbersome to start thinking about, oh, well, we already do all of these steps on the farm every day, and now you're asking us to do that. It's it's cumbersome sometimes to think through those processes and really strategize about it. But at the end of the day, we're we're only going to have to expose ourselves more in the industry to show people what we're doing more than we already are today, which I, you know, we've been very transparent on the farm the last five to 10 years, but we're going to have to be more transparent, especially when we dive into that sustainability piece. So like I said, we're already doing a lot of great things. Our sows are producing, our pigs are producing. We've got great numbers on our PNLs, but there are going to have to be some steps in the future that we're going to have to add or that we're going to have to show or that we're going to have to train to because our staff just doesn't know or they don't understand. So when we look at that and the great resignation and how it's affected the pork industry, how have our caretakers attitudes changed? Ooh, that's a good question. You know, I uh, probably very similar to other industries, right? I think that there's uh, a group of steady eddies that, eh, it doesn't mean anything to them. They go to work. Um, maybe it is more of that job for them. And, and maybe they even fall into that career category. I don't know. But I think that there's there's a group of steady eddies where the resignation hasn't affected them at all. Um, and, and they're just happy to be employed. They enjoy the work they're doing on the farm. Um, and they're ready to go every day. And I think that that's fantastic. Um, some of the other areas that I, that I see changes... You know, our 
our industry has had a hard time responding to the great resignation. In my opinion, um, we were not at the forefront of looking at and adjusting our benefits packages for employees. We're not at the forefront of adjusting work schedules and things like that to accommodate what people are needing. So there's definitely a portion of the industry that, that of the individuals that are in our industry that are like, you know what, I, I'm, I'm on board with this great resignation. I, I think that there's things that aren't right and that we need to look at changing, or I'm going to go look elsewhere for something that will better fit my needs. Um, as, and then in response to some of those other, our, other industries changing, right? I think our immediate reaction was, oh gosh, we're going to lose people. So we're going to up our wages. I think some of that has been necessary. I, I really do. Um, but is it enough? Are we doing enough? And I kind of always, you know, you can start throwing in the quiet quitting and, and all of that too. And I think at the core of the great resignation, it's not about sticking it to the man and, and, and leaving your job and leaving them hanging or anything about like that. It's, it's about employees starting to demand that they be taken care of no different than our animals. Self-care. Right? It's, <laughs> yes. it's, it's self-care. Yes. It's saying this isn't working for me anymore. I need to find in having that tough conversation with your employer and saying, this isn't working. Is there any way that we can look at this? And, and if not, then you've got to make the tough choice to either leave or stay, whatever that might be for you. Um, but it is, it is self-care. It is, um, it is employees looking to have their employers trust that they'll make the right decisions for them and that they are capable of making those decisions. Um, it might be from lack of involvement in decision-making processes or the, the thought processes or strategizing within the company. Um, they may no longer feel like they belong, right? I, as we transition this industry from it being a profession to a career, to a job, we're also, we're also shifting our internal company cultures too, because yeah. no longer is it, you still have, you still have the, the owners a part of that, but now we're starting to hit this succession planning phase for a lot of the, the a lot of the big players in the industry. And what does that look like? How do we move from what we did and how we started the company in the eighties or nineties and meet all of our, our business needs first and foremost, but then also the needs of our, our staff that are, are taking care of our animals. No, that's, that's really great. When you talk about just the wages, the benefits, the, the mindset of where everything's at, I was actually listening to a podcast. This might be a really weird tie and I hope I do it justice, <laughs> but it was actually um, the herd. So this is a sports podcast where they were talking about NFL team owners and the way that we're spending money and they were talking about how some of the NFL team owners get really, really cost conscious around the players. And they're like, why would we be cost conscious first and foremost with our players? Like those are the ones going out there and doing the work. They're the ones doing the job. They're the ones performing and laying out the value for us at the end of the day, to be successful. And it feels like we kind of fall into that same world in the swine industry at times 
where we become so cost conscious around labor that, and I know it's a huge component. It's the same mm-hmm. in sport, a huge component of, of everything and, and what success means. But that's also arguably one of the most important. And it just feels like it's fallen on the back burner. Not that people don't care, but I think other industries have progressed so much faster that it might seem like it doesn't matter when it really does. I mean, you walk, talk to these owners, they care so much. These owners, they care, but the numbers on the paper and the benefits, I don't think line up with where things have moved over the last few years. Well, and I would, I I think it is a great tie actually. And in 100%, you know, uh, as I was kind of mentally preparing for the podcast, one thing I thought of is, you know, how often do our thought leaders and our executive leaders and our companies sit down at the table and how many hours and how many dollars are they throwing around when we're talking about deciding genetics for our herd and, feed, you know, feed costs and additives and should we try this product or not? Or is, you know, let's do a research project on that or, or barn designs themselves. Right. And, and I loved um, Joe Dykeis the other day on your podcast talking about how like we've mastered modern pig farming, right? Like we are, we are there and we know what we're doing as far as barn design and, and, um, you know, Pharaoh to finish and how that whole process looks and what our numbers need to be. Right. And so how many hours do we spend and how many dollars do we spend on all of that? And here we are two, two, two and a half years past the start of COVID. Have we sat down and had those same conversations about our labor yet? Are we yep. going to? Have we been proactive or, or are we fighting a fire? Uh, exactly. What is the, what's the temperature in the, in the room right now for a lot of these companies as far as labor goes? Are we fully staffed or are we still scrambling to find labor? When are we going to sit down at the table and start talking about the strategy for both recruitment and retention in our systems? So how do we respond as an industry? Sit down at the table and have a conversation about this, right? <laughs> like spend yep. the time. If we're going to spend so much money and so much time and, and you're right, there's, there's a whole cost analysis piece to this on our PLs, and and that I don't have a lot of experience in and we'll, we'll upfront tell you that, but we in our systems, we constantly look at, hey, if we do this one thing, um, for example, take pigs off feed before they go to market, right? We we limit feed them before they get on the market truck. It can save our, our system X amount of dollars, right? So we have those conversations all the time in our industry. What are we doing with those dollars and where are we reinvesting them, right? And so, I mean, that's a big mushroom cloud of conversation, all the things that systems can and should be looking at, but I, you know, thoughtfully asking producers across the industry, when was the last time we sat down at the table and strategized about this labor piece and what that looks like? How many of us have sat down other than raising wages and having those conversations have had a thoughtful conversation over whether or not our benefits package that we developed 20 years ago is still the right fit for our our labor market today. Absolutely. And it's, 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 it's crazy too. Cause when you think outside of wages, right? When you look at that person's day, 
from the time they, they clock in or get to work to the time they leave is everything they're interacting with exemplifying that we care in a couple areas. I have the whole, we care, right? I've thrown that in there. Um, <laughs> towels. Are your towels relatively new or are they rags falling apart? Is the shampoo the cheapest bottle you could buy? Or is it a moderately, you know, middle middle grade one that people are probably buying at home? The little things that you're doing that you're interacting with, is it the cheapest butter in the fridge? Or is it just, you know, the, a, a good a good butter? Like those little right. things matter. And it's it's not asking you to change your entire system to be some sort of cushy place of business, right? It's not those things go a long way, but they're not everything, right? I mean, we we hear stories about, you know, in the tech industry, you know, they have foosball in, in coffee <laughs> bars and all of these things in their break room. And, and like, it, that's part of the equation, right? Our not industry is, it, right. We're great for pizza parties. You guys, pizza parties for our teams is, is a great way to, to, be a catalyst for that interaction for everybody on the team, but it can't be the answer every time your team succeeds at something. Right. And so I'll, I'll toss myself out there. Right. I'm a single mom. I have two kids. I have spent, I had to do the math on this the other day for some things. I've spent over a hundred hours of my PTO this since January one of this year, running my kids to appointments and taking care of things. So for me, my it pizza parties aren't going to cut it right like it it's just not it's not going to it's going to be important to me but the ability to have a flexible schedule so that i can time those appointments when i need to and not feel the guilt of leaving work early um and also feel the support from my management team that hey taking care of your kids is way more important than you being here today. Their mental health is important. Take care of that. Right. And having some of that support um, would go miles for me. And again, just one-off example of that entire situation. But, you know, Matthew, we talked about the other day when, when your employees, when your staff show up at the farm every day, you aren't getting a hundred percent out of each and every one of them. Never. There's never a day where, all 15, 20, however many you have on the farm are showing up at a hundred percent. And so that's our challenge is what can we do? How can we, how can, whether we looking at benefits or we're looking at the scheduling of the day or whatever that might be, you know, talking about flex schedules and, and um, moving away from what we've always done. What can we do as a team to make this effective. And it might look different across your system too, right? You might have one farm that they are, they're, they're champs and, and everybody wants to work from six to three every day and they can make it work. And that's what they want. Then that's the schedule that they should have. But you might have another farm where maybe there's somebody like me where, Hey, if I have the ability to leave at two every, you know, X number of days or every Monday or whatever it is, so I can take care of appointments but then I can work an extra hour later. Like we've, we've got to start showing some of that flexibility because life is messy. People's lives are messy anymore. And, and it can't be so structured that we, 
we're trying to force people to fit into a mold that they can't fit into. No, so I love that. And with your background in HR, I think you're perfectly positioned to answer this next question. (laughs) Sometimes there's a lot of fear around doing things different within a system. Um, I think every farm is a unique version of itself, just as every person is a unique version of itself. Therefore, every team in every facility is going to be very different. But if one farm starts at eight and another one starts at, let's say, five, and one has a flex and one doesn't have a flex, I think it's fearful to some producers that they're going to be hit with, well, that's not fair. How come they get this and I don't? How how do you address that from an HR perspective that it doesn't need to be fair? It doesn't need to, or it doesn't need to be the same to be being the same and being fair are two different worlds, correct? Yeah, for sure. You know, I think it's, well, in, in my, my HR background is fairly limited here, but (laughs) it's, um, you know, it's also years of observations of watching the system work too. Um, which I think is just as valuable, but I think that it's a conversation to be had with the, with the team, like this, this is what seems to work. And, and sometimes you can, sometimes you can have conversations. Well, Hey, if that's the schedule you want, do you want to transfer over to that farm? If that is more appealing to you, I would rather retain you as an employee because you are a good worker and, all of these things, if, if it's feasible for you to transfer it, and that's not always the case, right? Sometimes we have hours between farms and that's, that's just not the case, but why not? Why not offer them that opportunity, retain your good employee and find somebody that fits that mold for that farm better. Or I would also dig into, is this either or situation, you know, one fair or not fair situation, is it, where did the standard come that this farm has to start at eight and this one starts at five? Do we need to switch the whole farm over to something different? I think you need to have that conversation with your managers of your farms too. Are you doing this because this is what's most convenient for you? Oh, good question. Or because this is how you've always done it? Or do we need to look at moving? I I mean, the, you got to break it all the way down. And, and and I think that's the part, right, where we hesitate as an industry to move on those things because that is freaking exhausting, right? It's hard to yeah. have those conversations and it is hard to, uh, people don't like change. Our industry, we just don't like change, right? And so it, it can be hard, but I think, I think that there's value in having that conversation today with your, with your team, with your management team too, top down, like, hey, this might change and we might need to do it because it better serves our staff. You know, are you u- utilizing part-time staff on your farm or are you still trying to find a full-time person and you've had two full-time positions open for eight months on your farm because you refuse to hire part-time people? You're missing out. You are missing out. And don't tell me that you can't manage a part-time or some sort of a flex schedule it's not that you can't, it's that you're choosing not to. But we have to consider that. I I was in a situation where um, we had some, I, I had some traditional nurseries that, you know, we were looking at, you know, creating some sort of flex schedule there. And I, I told our staff, I was like, I would give anything for a stay-at-home mom that wanted to work for four or five hours and could just go into those nurseries every day and gruel feed. They could just handle that piece. 
Let's look at what that would cost us. Let's look at what that return could be if we save X number of pigs because we got them started on feed, right? Like start having some of those conversations and seeing seeing what your farm can do because you might be missing out on some great part-time help that are great, great at pig care. They're great at breeding. They're great at, maybe they're great at power washing and you're missing out because you're, you're passing them by and overlooking them as part of your staff because you only hire full-time and that's all you do for that farm. We've got to think outside of the box. So how do we bridge the gap between the great resignation and maintaining our farms, animal care standards? Kind of let's pull it all together. Yeah, I think um, I think it starts with our our producers sitting down and strategizing. What are our needs? You know, what are we seeing in our system? Are we having a hard time hiring full time people? Um, we've never spent this amount of money on our people before. What you know, you've really got to start breaking the system down and asking you asking yourself, is this still working? Right. I think that there's a huge gap between um, just in training in general on our farms. I think that there's times where we luck out and we have great individuals that they just, they grasp the concept. They understand what's being asked. They're, they're great task managers and they can go on the farm and, and just rise to that position of leadership and management on the farm. But I think that there's also a lot of situations where we're asking people to step up into positions that they're not comfortable with. And so not only, so this whole training piece, not only do we need to train the individuals that are coming in um, totally green, unaware of, of what's happening in our industry and, and what those standards of care are on the farm to elevating those key individuals on our farm into those leadership positions. I think that there's a big gap there. And so I think, you know, we start with strategizing internally on our executive leadership. What are we doing? Is it working? What are some ways that we can navigate the world beyond the great resignation, right? And really start looking at accommodating some of these different needs that people have or the, the type of people that we're getting in and hiring. Um, and then I also think that it is looking at alternative ways to get people trained in. You know, I think we're really starting, you know, like I said earlier, 10, 15 years ago, people started adding animal welfare specialists on their team to help them organize what needed to get done, what was required of these packer audits, all of these different things. Oftentimes, training, development for the, the farm staff will get tossed into that person's plate. And not that that's a bad piece, right? Because there's a lot of administrative pieces to auditing and welfare that needs to get done. So, excuse me, in some sense, it it makes a lot of sense. But I think we need to go further. I think we need to start looking at, you know, how many times do we move somebody up into a leadership position and they're not ready for it? Yeah. We do that a lot. And it's out of, out of necessity, it's out of need <clears throat> versus really evaluating that person's capabilities. I mean, and- what's the, what is the, what is the problem? <laughs> if let's say we have a great breeding, ma- a breeding manager 
and they are fantastic. And we need another manager. And we have another person in Farrowing who's okay as a Farrowing manager, but great with people. What is the problem with paying the breeding manager what he's worth, but not bringing him to management? It feels like we, we know that person is great. And the only way we can justifiably pay them more is by putting them in a management role as opposed to just paying them what we really think they're worth as a, as a, as a contributor. And this happens in engineering as well. I mean, we, we've heard it from engineers that a great engineer, they want to pay him more, but they, they hit a ceiling for what they feel like they could pay a great engineer. So they make him an engineering manager. He's a terrible engineering manager and is unhappy and is no longer a great contributor because of it. Like, can we think more independently? I mean, we don't have to, can, can we think more independently around wages? I think we should. You know, and that, that kind of contradicts what we're seeing across the U.S. here in response to the Great Resignation, where people are wanting wages posted with job postings and, and more transparency around the wages. Um, you know, I think if you establish your system well enough, if you start paying what they're worth, and there's less communication internally about what they're getting paid, I think it's it's feasible. And, you know, you've got to, there's just some of those HR, those historical HR pieces that you have to think beyond. What, what prohibits you from paying that breeding department lead more? Is it because 15 years ago, we put a cap on that position? What, why, what are we, what were we accomplishing when we did that? And is it, does it still stand? Because I would arguable, arguably want that person that is better with people and better with task management in that position of leadership on that farm versus the person that has the years of experience, but is just killing it as breeding department lead. Let that person be, have that conversation with them and ask them, is this something that they want? And then have a review period, go into that. You know, if he decides, yeah, I think I'm ready for this. And I think I want that. And then you get three months in and you're both feeling like, Hey, I don't think this is the right thing for the love of Pete. Take him out of that position. Get rid of the the standards that we the, the the taboo feeling of that, and do what's right for the people on your farm. Put them back in breeding department. Put them in the lead position there. You know, and I understand that there's a lot of like, oh, we move somebody up into the breeding department lead position. Well, maybe maybe it's not about immediately filling those team lead and management positions on our farm. Maybe it's about backfilling with a full-time or part-time individual that can help us get the tasks done on the farm and just leave that position open for a while. Well, right? we, we think so often up and down, right? And this is not swine industry. This is culture up and down, up and down, as opposed to across the manager's job is to help facilitate the the resources that the team needs and, and be there for the team and help guide the team. It doesn't necessarily have to be seen as above the team, as opposed to a role within the team. And so, we're so focused on if I go up to a management role and I step back down, I have now gotten further from success. When in reality, you're, you're helping the team become more successful by understanding where your role is, is best played. And so this, this idea of success, it's a whole nother episode. It's a whole yeah, nother oh, book. Yeah. What, what does success mean? Like, what is what it? What does success mean? <laughs> it's and helping your team understand and talk through it. 
It's that we yes. need to have that conversation with our team members. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I, I agree with you a hundred percent. You know, the, instead of siloing everything, think outside of the box. I would love to see what, a, how a system would perform if they put a people leader in their head of production role versus somebody that is 30 years of production experience. I would love to see how that, that looks would like. transform that company. And that's not saying the current people in those roles are bad at their job. It's just, that no. would be a very interesting thing to see like what would happen as you. And so one other thing that I wanted to, to visit about too, is when we move these people up and they're not ready, we oftentimes don't provide the backup and the support to get them there. So that's why I said earlier, instead of looking to replace your breeding department lead right away, why don't you just hire somebody full-time to help get the tasks done? Because it's much easier and less time consuming to train that full-time person or part-time person on the basic tasks of pig care and daily um, tasks that need to get done on the farm versus the time that it takes to elevate that person into that position of leadership, right? So I, in, in the beauty of it, there's a ton of, there's a ton of softwares and, and technologies out there that can help us with all of these steps now, right? Like there's opportunity for us to get good at this without it costing more, more time and more energy from people. Because as soon as you elevate somebody into like a service manager position, well, now you're taking time away from that, that head of grow finish or that head of production that they need to spend with them. And if you're not, you're doing it wrong. If those two key people in your system aren't there to help support that person diving into that servicing position, or you don't have a, a strategy or a game plan with the support of your experienced service team or whatever that looks like, you're not, you are not helping that person. You are not looking at the situation and saying, have I done everything I can to elevate this person into that leadership position? And that's our role. That's our responsibility as employers. We have to take that seriously because if not, if we don't, if we don't start sitting down and strategizing this stuff and saying, how can I make a thoughtful change in my system to make this transition successful? We're doing it wrong and our doors will be revolving. They aren't going to stick around when they feel unsupported, not trusted, like they can't trust their their senior management to help them out when they need them. They're going to be gone sooner than they would stay. This is great. I, I mean, I really appreciate it. You joining the podcast. It's been great to have you as a guest. Before we wrap things up, would you mind sharing a golden nugget, a word of wisdom that you've kind of accrued or, or come to? In your professional career? Yeah. Um, well, first, thank you so much for having me today. Um, it's been fun. Very, um, I start talking about some of this stuff and realize I'm way more passionate about it than I realize most days that I'm just doing my job. But um, so thanks. I, I've thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. But um, I think my golden nugget, golden nugget is, is very simple. Just be kind. In everything you do, in every interaction, that you have with people, whether it's in the barn, the caretakers doing the daily chores, to 
to your CEO interacting with whomever they come across within their system. Be kind. One one thing that I recently heard is, um, I think it was um, Dr. Becky Kennedy. She is actually a, a, a parenting guru. And so I've, it's it ties in for me because of, of things that I'm trying to learn and do with my kids, right? But I, I think that it's applicable to most areas of life. But um, she always, she says in her book, Good Inside, to always assume what is the most generous interpretation I can give to this situation. And I read that and I wrote it down on a sticky note and I slapped it above my desk because I think far too often we go into situations where we assume we understand what's happening and we think we know exactly what happened, but practicing that pause of just being kind and saying, what is the most generous interpretation of the situation I can give that person? I think we'll really start facilitating a lot of change in our systems. And that can be hard sometimes. Super hard, super hard to, to pause um, and I think of it in relation to parenting, right? When your kiddos do something that just triggers you and instantly sends you <laughs> over the ledge and you want to react and you've got to practice the pause. But I know I can personally look back at my career and say, I really wish I would have tried that. I really wish that I did that rather than just assuming the situation was what I assumed it was. Because regardless if you're right or wrong in that assumption of things, Practicing that second of pause and, and training your brain to flip to that kindness area, it will go so far in nurturing those relationships that you have with the people that you work with, right? It's just a moment of time where you can switch your brain from reactionary to solution-based thinking, right? And Absolutely. And proceed forward with working with that individual to come to. And I think it goes hand in hand with the tough conversations that we have to have on the farm sometimes too, right? Like improvement plans aren't always the solution. Sometimes it's about having a a one-on-one personal conversation with that individual and finding out, well, what's going on at home? Is something bothering you? Which is also very taboo in our industry to have that conversation because First and foremost, we're all farmers and we don't talk about that stuff, but we have to, we have to, we have to make our, our work more personal than what it's been in the past to get us from that position where everything is a job today to back to the career and hopefully someday back to that profession. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Popular Pig. We aspire to learn and grow together through the experience and wisdom shared by our esteemed guests. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues within the swine industry. For more information, please go to popularpig.com to receive updates when new episodes are available. Popular Pig is brought to you by Swine Tech, the award-winning creators of SmartGuard and PigFlow. To learn how PigFlow can help you streamline your workforce and reduce piglet and sow deaths, visit swinetechnologies.com.